On today's episode of the John Campy Show podcast, John Carpenter is teasing that he's going to do a thing too. James Gunn may have found his Superman if you believe certain reports. The Little Mermaid may be swimming into some spider-infested waters and may have some trouble with Spider-Verse this weekend. Also, our Mint Mobile hotline question, somebody's asking about how hard is it and why don't we see a lot of examples of animation directors being able to find a lot of success in live action or have they? Also, the live-action Moana film seems to have found its director. That and a whole bunch more. The John Campus Show starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Rate Show on the planet Earth, the John Campus Show. Coming from right here in our little studio, brought to you in part by our friends, at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, all sorts of good stuff, not just giving you our opinions, but also giving you information and context so you can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or completely different from ours. Joining me here in studio today, we got Ray Ora. Game day! It is game it is. day. Jonathan Voiko's here. Not game day for me, but I'm here. And, oh. oh, no. And Chris Carr is here. It is game day for me as well. What oh. time are you going to go see? Of course, today is game day for Spider-Man into the or yeah. Cross Spider-Verse. When are you going to go see it? I'm seeing it at 6.30 at a Regal. Ooh. Yeah. I'm seeing it Monday. Oh. Ray and I are seeing it at... 2.30 this afternoon Ooh. over at AMC. Very, very excited about that. It is game day. Spider-Man nice. Across the Spider-Verse. I made a whole vlog about it this morning. I, I woke up this morning and you know when you're, I said this in my vlog, you know when you wake up, you're still kind of in that half asleep, half awake thing. You're not really cognitive. Yeah. And then that moment hits that, oh yeah, I'm awake. It's morning. I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm aware of my environment where I am. It's usually when a dog slaps me. Something like that. Yeah. So when that moment hit me today, I literally bounded out of bed. I'm like, it's Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse day. I was so excited. It's all I've been able to think about all day. It's the only thing I've had in my head all day. I am so excited for this. But we do have a number of things to talk about here today, guys. And this is how today's podcast is going to go. We're going to start off by talking about some of those predetermined topics. And in the second part of the show, we're going to take questions from our YouTube channel members. We have a YouTube channel. We put up videos on every day. And we have channel members over there who support us. And we ask them before every podcast recording if they have any topics or questions they'd like us to address. And we're going to get through as many of those today as we can. With that said... Let's get into some stuff here, shall we? We're going to start with this one. So I think when you talk about some of the all-time classic, particularly horror genre and things like that, the conversation is not going to go long before John Carpenter's The Thing comes up, which, by the way, is also a great example of remakes that are great because John Carpenter's The Thing is a remake, as a matter of fact. But John Carpenter's remake is beloved and cherished by many. I enjoy that film a lot. Matter of fact, it had a 2011, what people thought at first, starring Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, what a lot of people thought it was going to be a remake. It actually turned out it was a prequel, uh, which kind of surprised a lot of us. You know what? That, that movie gets a bad rap. I don't think that movie was all that bad. I actually kind of enjoyed it a little bit. I don't think it was great, but I thought it was pretty good. Well, John Carpenter, at the age of 75, is now saying that he believes they're going to be doing Thing 2. Uh, this comes from some folks over at CBR who wrote the following, and this is quoting John Carpenter, saying this, I've been sworn to secrecy, okay? Because there may be, I don't know if there will be, but there may be a Thing 2, the director said during a Q&A session during the Texas Frightmare Weekend, according to Creepy Catalog. While Carpenter did not go into any more detail, he did reveal that he's finishing up a new television series called John Carpenter's Suburban Screams. That's actually kind of a neat title. Suburban Screams and working on another Lost Themes music album. So, Chris, I know all you do all day from the moment you walk in the door. You just talk about thing, 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 thing all the time, all the time. Love horror, horror aficionado. What do you think about the idea? I mean, look, we just saw... Top Gun, do a sequel after 30-something years. We saw Star Wars do a sequel after 20 years, practically. What do you think about the idea of John Carpenter coming back and doing Thing 2? Hell 
yeah, why not? As long as it's a good story, right? As long as the sequel makes sense, then I'm all for it. Because not only was it a remake, it's also an adaptation of a novella by uh, John Campbell. So for that movie to have worked in general was really phenomenal. It's not only horrifically gory and upsetting, <laughs> but it's also this really fantastic psychological paranoid thriller. So even for folks like me who do not gravitate towards the genre, the thing is, by all accounts, a fabulous, incredibly well done film. And Carpenter's a master of this kind of stuff. So if mm. he feels like this is something that he can revisit and do well, I'd be intrigued to go see it. You know, the funny thing about it was this is one of those it's not often, but this is one of those movies that was not received well when it first came out and then went on to achieve kind of classic status. Jonathan, you got any interest in a thing too? Do you think they could actually do this and would there be an audience for it? Uh, there would definitely be an audience and I think you'd get a new audience because we're not going to be dealing with the early 80s like stop motion animation of this. Some, of, I mean, as good as thing is, it there are definitely some cheesy moments where you have Hell to just yeah. kind of yeah, suspend your disbelief where it's like, okay, that's doesn't really look like a guy exploding. Kind of looks like a claymation man exploding. But, but for the like time, for the time it was awesome. And, and, and the story is great. And I think you could win new audiences with, with effects today and the storytelling. And it's just, it's just terrifying. You, you're not even so much afraid of the thing. You're afraid of the, it's the paranoia. Yeah. Who is the thing? It could exactly. be Exactly. It's that assimilation part of yeah. it. That's so messed up. Yeah. Which, of course, then kind of left on a bit of a cliffhanger with is he or isn't he sort mm -hmm. of a thing, which is kind of interesting. We could also see J&B uh, whiskey's stock go up. Oh, oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> but again, I, I still or it, I really did kind of like that 2011 version because at the end when you see it running across the snow, it's like, oh, that's where we're at. Like, I actually thought that was kind of neat. All right. With that down, let's move on to this, shall we? Uh, we made a video about this topic a little bit earlier today on the YouTube channel. But, you know, Little Mermaid, I mean, it it's had a nice opening, you know, has an A cinema score. It has a 95% audience rating. It made more money before its second weekend domestically than Shazam 2 did in its entire global worldwide run. Damn. Which, again, is not a commentary on Little Mermaid doing great. It's really more of a sad commentary on how bad Shazam 2 did, which really sucks because I kind of like that movie. Uh, but that being put aside, it is heading into its second weekend now. The movie's already made before its second weekend over $200 million. But the question that I think a lot of us have had and I've had since the first weekend was, how big of a drop is Little Mermaid going to have in its second weekend? And I'm going to tell you right now, I think it's going to be substantial. And, and there are two reasons that I covered in the video. So let me touch on them here. The first reason is the smaller reason. While I like this movie, in a world where most Disney live action remakes are not great, this is a good one. But to me, it's not one of the best ones. While I enjoyed the film, I find it to be a delightful film. Halle Bailey is a superstar. A lot of good things I have to say about it. But while I might go back to the theater to watch it one more time, I, I don't know that this is a movie like Aladdin where I went go back and watch it four or five times, right? I don't know if this movie has, while a good movie being received very well, I don't know that it has the rewatchability that some of the other Disney live-action remakes have had. Jungle Book, for me, Cinderella, but... There's that. But again, that's the smaller problem. The bigger problem is in the form of an individual known as Miles Morales. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which I am ludicrously excited to go see, is coming out this weekend. And it already presented two very large problems for Little Mermaid. And now there's a third. The first problem that Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse presents to Little Mermaid is that it's going to be a big film. It's not going to be Avatar The Way of Water big or anything like that, but it's going to be a big film. So that's already a bit of a problem. The bigger and more concerning problem for Little Mermaid when it comes to Miles Morales and Spider-Verse is the fact that it's going after the same family audience that Little Mermaid is. I, again, we talked about this last week on the show, but I mean, if Little Mermaid was coming up against Killers of the Flower Moon in its second weekend, Killers of the Flower Moon can be a big movie, but it's a different audience. It could run into Dune 2. Dune 2 is going to be a big movie, but it's going to be a different audience. 
some crossover, obviously, but a little bit of a different audience or Oppenheimer or some of the other big movies that are coming out. But Spider-Verse is going after families, the same families that Little Mermaid is going after. And now this is the new shiny. This is the new thing, the new bubble. And I think a lot of people are going to be there. And now there's a third problem that Little Mermaid's going to have with Spider-Verse. The critics are speaking. And a lot of some of the critics are saying this is their favorite movie of all time. <laughs> yes. And and as beloved as the first one is, almost all of them are saying this is better than the first one. So it's already got a problem because Spider-Verse is a big movie. It's got an even bigger problem because Spider-Verse is going after the same audience they are. And now it's running into another problem that the critics are speaking. They're saying, yeah, this could be best picture of the year. At least a couple of them are saying that. Now, I can't say that. I haven't seen it myself yet. So, Chris, you know, normally we're talking about a good normal second weekend drop is between 50 and 60%. Any less than 50, pop bottles, you're celebrating. Any more than 60, and you're getting concerned. I'm pegging Little Mermaid with all the things that we just covered probably in 65% or more drop. I don't know that it'll get the Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania 70% drop, but I wouldn't bet against it. So this is a very, very big problem, I think, for Little Mermaid, a movie I enjoy and I like. But I don't know, Chris, you're looking at this weekend. What do you think are the biggest hurdles and obstacles that the Little Mermaid is facing going into its second weekend? It definitely, definitely is Spider-Verse. It absolutely is. That being said, though, I don't think we're going to see anything over 60 in the drop-off, personally. Ooh, you'll think they'll keep it under 60. I think they'll be okay. Because, again, we what we also keep hearing about this movie, even though it is a beautiful, it's a masterpiece. Each frame is a work of art, is one yeah, actual Yeah, a lot of people have said thing. that, yeah. You know, a lot of people are also talking about how this is a very dark, emotionally charged film. And some of your younger audience, maybe parents are going to hold off on that. We talked about this before. Same way that people were about asking us about Guardians. Hey, do I take my eight-year-old to see this? Eh, Maybe warn them. Maybe have a big talk with them beforehand. Decide for yourself if you want to bring your kid to this or go check it out yourself first. I think we might see that same kind of thing with Spider-Verse. Just because this is going to be an emotionally charged thing and there's already so much speculation. Maybe not for your average moviegoer, but amongst some of us fans, right, of... All right, which parent's gonna die? Let's see. Maybe isn't the movie you take again, your eight-year-old or something too. And I do think Little Mermaid for that younger demographic will get those repeat views and everything. Once again, living near a regal, I see all the kids wearing their little cosplay going to the movie theater and it's the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. Seeing all these little girls dressed up as mermaids. It's so, so precious. I love it so much. Um, and I also think too, we do have a little bit of a different audience here. Yes, you have the the millennials and everyone else who want the nostalgia of going to see the Little Mermaid. But I think Spider-Verse also does attract a different audience than Little Mermaid. You know, you've got more comic book aficionados. You've got gamers. You've got some other folks, too. So I do think while there's a definite Venn diagram of the audience who's going to see both these movies, there's also people on either side of those circles who are like, that one's not for me. That one's not for me. So I think it's going to be okay, but it's definitely not going to dominate the box office like we've seen it. See, and the the trouble I think they're going to have there, to your point, is that while I agree you know, Spider-Verse will get the comic book aficionados, the video game people, but I think that's in addition to rather than instead of of the same families. And so that's where I think it could be, pardon the pun, sailing into troubled waters here Mm -hmm. uh, a a little bit on that. Ray, I know you've seen all the Spider-Verse footage that I've seen. Where's your anticipation for Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse? And I don't know, do you think Little Mermaid can hold its own Going into this weekend against a movie like this, it, it's it's not. But then also at the same time, you you can think about there's people that just don't do animation. They just you know there's still some mm-hmm. people out there that like they don't like anime. But they're not movies. kids, you know what I mean. So um, I I was actually reading reviews earlier today when you were you're doing the video on this, and I'm like super excited for the Spider Verse film. Um, twenty twenty three is going to be a good year because I now have my favorite DC movie, my favorite Marvel movie. This could be my favorite animated movie of all time. I mean, yeah, but of course, talking about Guardians 3, The Flash, which you have seen Mm -hmm. and most people haven't. You know, to your point, too, about maybe some people apprehensive about maybe taking their kids, you know, there might be a parent dying or something like that. Remember, one of the biggest animated films of all time, Frozen, it started with parents dying. Now, Grant, it wasn't graphically. It's an off-screen death. It is an off-screen death. But I mean, I think like a lot of Disney films either have parents who have died 
Oh, yeah. But we don't watch them. Well, they usually start off with a dead mother because you automatically then sympathize with this family of, oh, my gosh, they've suffered so much already. That poor single father. Disney loves a dead mom. Which is also why Disney loves a dead mom. That's a T-shirt. That's, you that should make. be a T-shirt. It's my mom's biggest problem with the House of Mouse. She's like, "Why is the mom always dead? This is the bullshit." Always gone. It's always yeah. the single dad doing mm-hmm. the best he can. Exactly. And when it is a mom, it's an evil stepmother. It's an evil mom. Exactly. That's right. Don't know what Walt Disney had against moms. I don't know. All right, guys. Hey, listen. Uh, We'll have a better idea about what we can expect after we see Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse today. Because, again, I haven't seen, none of us in the room have seen it yet. So we're going to see that today. So we'll have some, uh, I'm sure, more thoughts about that uh, moving forward. And listen, guys, we got more stuff that we're going to cover here. But before we do, we're going to take just a minute here and thank one of the sponsors of today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, our friends at ExpressVPN. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, ExpressVPN. Guys, it is 2023 and online privacy and security has never been more important. You see, every device, phones, computers, tablets has a unique IP address, which is like an internet phone number and reveals personal information about you. It's super simple for somebody online who knows what they're doing to find your IP address. If you've ever clicked on a sketchy link or opened an email from somebody you don't know, your IP address could become exposed. Now that's where ExpressVPN has your back. ExpressVPN is an app that hides your real IP address and replaces it with a dummy one, keeping you safe and private. And you don't have to be some kind of techie to use a VPN. Guys, it is so easy to use. Just download the ExpressVPN app on your phone or computer, tap one button to turn it on, and you're protected. And if you like your streaming entertainment, here's the coolest part. They let you choose what country you want your IP address to look like it's coming from. This is incredibly useful because services like Netflix and Disney Plus give you different shows depending on what country you're in. So secure your family's online activity and unlock tons of new shows by visiting expressvpn.com slash campia. Use my link and you can get three extra months free. That's express, E-X-P-R-E-S-S, vpn.com slash campia. Go to expressvpn.com slash campia to learn more. And thank you to our friends at ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. All right. That down, guys. Let's get on to this. Um, you know, who's the next James Bond? Who's the next Batman? Who's going to be Mr. Fantastic? But the big question right now around Hollywood is who's the next Superman? Because James Gunn is launching his new chapter of DC on the big screen with Superman Legacy coming out in 2025. And they're supposed to be going into production in literally single-digit months from now. So... Who is going to be the new Superman? Now, I'm going to say a very unpopular thing that I've said for a while now. I believe it's already been cast. I believe not many people know it. I think James Gunn is playing it incredibly close to the vest, but I believe he's already got his new Superman. Who that is, I don't know. I I honestly have no clue at this point. There have been a lot of, who's the one kid? Corn Sweet? Yes. Yeah, from Hollywood. From what? Um, the the Netflix series Hollywood. The, oh right, right. The, yeah. the guy. That's right. He actually, he's you know what? wonderful. He was not bad in that. He would have. He's great in that, and I think he'd be an excellent choice. So there's been a number of people talking about that. We did our own kind of top ten list about who could be potential Superman and all that kind of stuff. But reports are still swirling around about who it could be. Maybe they're still casting anyway. Well, there's a report in Variety, which is not Gus's gas station movie reviews. Dot fart. This is a serious outlet, Variety. And they are speculating that they are looking, that James Gunn is looking at an actor by the name of Pearson Fode. I want to say Fode. It's F-O-D-E, it but it's Fode. one of those E's with a little so, accent. Maybe it's Fode. Fode. Fode? Like Sade? Yeah, maybe. All right. Fode. Pearson Fode. That's what we're going to go with. Yeah. Until somebody corrects us. We're going to go with <laughs> Bode. Fode. That's what we're going to go. And... Uh, <laughs> That's a good-looking kid. Yeah. I've never heard of this dude before in my life. Apparently, he was in two episodes of Dynasty. I think he did Bold and Beautiful as well, or one of those other Was that the soul opera he did? Bold and Beautiful. But he did two episodes of... The reason I was uh, interested in the Dynasty thing is because our own Aaron Cummings Cummings. had done Dynasty, so I wonder if she shared. Uh, Not a lot of experience here. He he had a smaller role in The Man from Toronto. He was in two episodes of Animal Kingdom. One episode of Leverage Redemption and uh, one episode of Supergirl. So there's a little bit of superhero cred in there, I suppose. So why 
is Variety talking that this guy is in the running to be Superman? Well, it's actually kind of flimsy what he's talking. Anyway, this is what the Variety article says. Back in April, James Gunn told me, this is the, the Variety reporter writing, James Gunn told me what he was looking for in the new Man of Steel for Superman Legacy. The next Superman has to be somebody who has all the humanity that Superman has, but he's also an alien, he said. It's got to be somebody who has the kindness and the compassion that Superman has and be somebody you want to give a hug, he added. We have some really great choices, which I'm excited about. Now, this is where he gets into why he's naming him. Could former Bold and the Beautiful star Pearson Foday be on Gunn's list? I hear that the 31-year-old actor could be in the running for the coveted role. Sources tell me that Foday sent in a self-tape, which included a montage of footage showing his very Clark Kent-like childhood on a farm in the small town of Moses Lake, Washington. I'm told Gunn liked what he saw. All right. Let's get into this for a second. (laughs) Somebody's going to be Superman, right? Somebody's going to be Superman. And I'll tell you what, when I saw this kid's picture, which I don't know, Ray, if you used the picture of this kid in the thumbnail that we used... When I saw this kid's picture, I instantly thought, number one, that's a good-looking kid. Number two, I thought, I could look at that guy and see Superman. He's got to go look for it, although look is hardly the most important thing. Dye his hair black. He's got that square chin. But it doesn't doesn't even need black hair. Doesn't even need black hair, but they would probably dye it a little bit darker. He's got a Henry Cavill look about him. Yep. I mean, he really does. So let's just call him Henry Cavill. So we'll just, <laughs> we'll, so just get Henry Cavill back, for heaven's sake. But here's the thing. Really? We're running a headline in Variety that James Gunn may have found his guy because this actor sent in a self-tape? Okay, so... I'm about to be discovered then, y'all, because I'm sending <laughs> self-tapes right. Oh, shit. <laughs> now, now, here's the thing. Like, look, I am not an actor. I am, I am no actor. But I have done some casting before. And I know that when I've done simple castings, whether it's for AMC or Collider or even for here, and I put out like some kind of casting call and ask for a self-tape, I would literally get 800, 900 of them sent in. Mm-hmm. Like hundreds and hundreds of hundreds for something as piddly as doing what we do here. Can you imagine the amount of self-tapes that get sent in for something like a role in a movie? And our own Erin Cummings, I would often talk to her. She was like, every time I would either call her on the phone or she would call me, it was almost always preceded by saying, oh, no worry, I'm just doing a self-tape. Mm-hmm. Like every time I call, like she's just, that's what she does at home all day. She is self-taping for roles and auditions and things, stuff like that. Chris, I don't know. How many self-tapes would you say you send in in a month? I am very fortunate. Actually, and I no, that might be do. a personal question. You don't no, have to answer that. that no, that's fine. I'm fortunate. I usually get one a, a week. My voiceover stuff, obviously, is much more like constant for me since that's what I mostly work on. I usually have got a great voiceover agent. Shout out Mike Clifford. You're the best. <laughs> um, but he gets me stuff like three or four times a week, right? Right. Because you got to remember, I audition for these companies over and over again and have that whole like, I've booked the room. Hopefully soon they'll give me a job. Please give me a job. I'd like one. So <laughs> self-tape is something that is so constant and so always. Um, it's really, really great when you get asked to do a self-tape. Um, there's a great casting studio out here that has this board before you go into an in-person callback that talks about how, like, just so you know, 5,000 people on average auditioned for your role. Ooh, we narrowed that down to... Say that again. Like 5,000 people auditioned for your role. Oh, my God. Or submitted for your role, submitted for your role. Then they narrow it down for an actual audition. Uh, based on people's, you know, headshots, their materials, all that good stuff. Then they maybe cull that down to like 250. It depends on really what they're looking at. They just cull that down. And then the number of people they bring in for a callback afterwards is even smaller. So getting the audition is a win. Getting the callback is a win. Being um, on hold for a role when they're thinking about you or pinning you, right? Where it's, hey, it's down between you and two other actors. We're going to figure out who we're going to use at the end of this. Those are all big wins. So to have somebody submit a self-tape when it's not an open call is a big win. However, <laughs> here comes the caveat. It's something we do so gosh dang always. And and it's one of those things as well. I, I'm going to sound very, very jaded. And I know that this isn't always the case, but I've self-submit or I've not self-submit. I've done self-tapes for roles where then I read in variety the A-list celebrity that it goes to. And it feels very kiss, kiss, bang, bang at the end of the day, right? <laughs> we're like, oh, I was just here to bring down Colin Farrell's price tag. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of times 
We have A-list still submitting self-tapes. We have, you know, your regular undiscovered talent submitting self-tapes. And I don't want to, you know, poo-poo Pierce's talent here, too. Because oh, no, no, no. no. I, I haven't even seen a sample yeah. size. I he's have got, no frame of reference for He's how been nominated he for two daytime Emmys. So he's been consistently working since about 2011, I so think. So he's clearly got so something. He's, he's got chops. And yes, they've been these kind of one-off or two-episode uh, two recurring roles or a run on Bold and the Beautiful. But that, again, it's hard to book these things. It's hard to be a working actor. So if it is him, obviously they see something great in him. He has that look. He's got the acting chops, it looks like, to back it up. But having a self-tape does not mean you're going to get the part. Yeah, I mean, I, I like all due respect to the writer and the like. I, I was expecting as I'm reading this article in Variety, and again, all due respect to the writer in the Variety, who has a much more credible job than I will ever have in my life. But I'm, I'm like waiting as I'm reading through the through the story, waiting to find like I had lunch with somebody who told me yes, it's it's down to the final three and uh, Foley. No, damn it, I lost his name already. Foday. That Foday is the final two. But all I I got to the paragraph of. I've been told he submitted a self-tape. And I'm like, really? It does say that Gunn liked what he saw. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But I mean, that's kind of still anonymously. Yeah. It's like, did he? I need to hear James Gunn how... say, I really enjoyed the self-tape. Or yeah. was it like, I liked what I saw. Or was it like, I liked what I saw. But what if that's the only person that he commented on? Oh, see, well, okay, yeah. Now, if Riley went on to say, James Gunn has been tight-lipped about anything except for this one guy. Well, then that carries some weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does, right? definitely does. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, Chris, I hope you don't mind me if I, if I ask you this question because mm-hmm. I, I've been fascinated by this. I the, the strength actors in L.A. have to me is incredible because I think for a lot of people, the scariest thing in the world is rejection. Oh, yeah. Right? I think I've had one job in my life that I've applied for that I didn't get and it devastated me. I do not have the makeup to be an actor in Hollywood mm-hmm. because I would never be able to do it. You've obviously landed a lot of gigs. I have but, obviously been rejected a ton. <laughs> but I was going to ask, like, what do you, like, for somebody like you who has had, had some success here, mm-hmm. even for somebody like you, what would you say that ratio is for every one role I got, I oh. didn't get X number of roles? It's horrific when you look at the numbers because in any other field, right, in any other industry, it'd be you need to get a new job. Oh my gosh. Um, and this is something my parents are really, really great about now. It's so helpful when you have a supportive family system too in this industry and it's very far and few between. So I'm very, very lucky where my parents now are able to do this of the, oh, well, my daughter books the room and their friends will be like, what the hell does that mean, Jeff? She, there's casting directors who like her. There's casting directors who call on her regularly because they know they can count on her for consistent work. But for every one job I book, I have probably auditioned for that casting director at least, you know, 75 times. Wow. It, it's a very, very skewed system. And the thing that it comes down to, too, is it is never about you. So you can't take any of it personally because right. the things that it comes down to are I wasn't tall enough or this other person had this other attitude or there were so many other things that made this other person this role their own, right? That has nothing to do with me that I can't change about myself because that's not for me. That role's for them now. Good for them. Have a great time with it. But that's also why you in the comments. Yeah. That's why you in the comments can upset me that much because I do this every day. (laughs) But I mean, because you you can't be hurt. Like wise whiz wise, wise words, but you can't take it personally. But isn't it difficult? Oh, absolutely. It's so much easier said than done. And there's certain times too where you'll send in an amazing tape and you're like, oh, I feel really good about it. And then you get that call back and you're like, I know they really like me. This is really, really great. And then either your agent calls you or you read in one of the, the, you know, Trades, trades and somebody else got it. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to be in that Jane, uh, Jane Lynch project. Okay, that makes sense. I'm not going to play her daughter. Okay. See, for me, like this, because this is how bad I would be at trying to live that life. This is how bad. I'm playing a new video game. Mm-hmm. The moment I get to the first boss and I don't beat them on the first try. So now. It's like, done. I put the controller down and I never open up the game again. We it's also like- have like a three-day rule in our house too because I, I live with another actor, obviously. And Logan has been up for really big things where he was up for the Flash TV show. He's read for Umbrella Academy and Umbrella Academy devastated him that he didn't get that oh, because he yeah. loves Gerard Way so much. But he reframed it as, I can't believe that one of my heroes got to see me do what I love doing. Mm. That's amazing. But we have a three-day thing where you get to be upset and you get to kind of be annoyed and, you know, maybe watch a bunch of that other actor's work and be like, are they better than me? And have your partner go, no, of course not. They're different. (laughs) But then after three days, you got to get over it and do it again. 
All right. Well, guys, there you go. Uh, apparently, there's a story going around, and obviously because it's variety writing, it's a lot of people picking it up. But I, I, again, I'm looking at it, and again, uh, no, no casting no shade at Mark Melkin who wrote the article. Like not at all. I'm just saying, uh, upon reading Mark's article, I just don't see much there to talk about. I, I don't know. Maybe we're going to find out in two weeks, or maybe Comic Con's going to come around and, ladies and gentlemen, introducing your new Superman, Pearson Foday, coming on stage. I don't know. We'll find out. All right. Hey, guys, with that down, let's go on to this, shall we? Uh, we found out rather surprisingly a little while ago, I think it might have been Dwayne The Rock Johnson that told people, that a live-action Moana movie is on the way, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson will be returning to play Maui. Now, besides the fact that he did the voice of Maui in the movie, I mean, are there many other people who could play Maui? Other than Dwayne Johnson? I'm just not sure there's a lot of other people who could. So he's returning. Uh, the fabulous actress who played Moana in the original film will not be returning. But she's producing. But she is on as a producer on the film. And now, apparently, we have a, a director. They've got a director of Moana. And it's probably a name maybe you haven't heard, but it's Thomas Kale, K-A-I-L. Now, in the world of on-screen entertainment, uh, Thomas has directed a... A TV movie of Grease Live. He directed two episodes of the Jack and Triumph the Insult comic dog show. And he directed three episodes of Two Broke Girls. But what his big feather in his cap is, he is the director of the cultural phenom powerhouse event known as Hamilton. Uh, winning a lot of awards. I don't know that there's ever been a musical not Cats, not My Beloved Les Mis. I don't know if there's ever been a musical that's had as much pop cultural influence as Hamilton has had. Now, of course, in the original Moana, a little guy by the name of Lin-Manuel Miranda did some of the music in that film. And of course, Thomas has worked with Lin-Manuel Miranda with Hamilton, obviously. So it looks like we've got ourselves a, a, a director for this thing. Now, again, it's hard to say how well this is going to translate because I'm not really exposed to much of, like, directing a live group of people on a stage is one incredibly difficult thing. Directing a visual medium production, filmed production, it's a different thing. It's a different set of challenges. Not harder, not easier. It's just a different set of challenges. Uh, Chris, you heard about this. Are you surprised by the pick? Do you think this is a good one to go with? What do you think? I am surprised, but then when I did some more research on him, he also directed the majority of that Fosse miniseries with Sam Rockwell. Right. Yep. And so obviously this is somebody who is steeped in musical theater, right? From being able to tell Fosse, uh, Fosse's story on the screen to doing the direction of Hamilton. And he obviously works well with Lynn. So yeah. that I think is why this is happening and why this is moving forward. That being said, I can't remember which website I read it on because I saw the the tweet when I was, you know, getting ready this morning of, oh, okay, they found the director. And someone referred to it as the completely redundant live action Moana film. <laughs> and went, oh, oh my gosh. So I guess a lot of people are still on the fence of the as to for why this movie is happening. But I think he'll do well. I mean, I feel like it's going to lean much more into the musicality of it. That's just my assumption, given his background and how he has done so much stage work of, oh, OK, well, then these are going to be full out musical numbers now, as opposed to these kind of cutaways that have different, you know, visual effects that are happening. Like Maui's whole song has all of the basically like imagery behind him right. and everything. Yeah. Right. This is going to become a whole to do now. Shiny is going to become a whole to do now. They're going to be big oh, full productions, I, I feel. So I'm excited about that aspect of it, because if it can have that big like bombastic musical feel, then I feel like we understand why this is being made in this forum as opposed to, well, we've got this animated film. It's a shot for shot remake. I feel like this choice means that there's going to be some different artistic choices made. The the only thing, like, you know me, I'm all for remakes, particularly animated into live act. I'm all for giving the shot because yeah, maybe we get some crap, but yeah, maybe we get something great. I, I do want, the one thing about Moana that made me wonder is the fact that when we do get these live action remakes, whether it's like Lion King, uh, Little Mermaid, Cinderella. We're talking decades. Decades yeah. between when we had the animated thing and now. And Moana is very recent. Like, I mean, it's not like it was yesterday. She like, just showed up at the theme parks. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, exactly. I don't right? understand this. So that's the part that seems a little bit, I mean, but I, if it's important to them that The Rock be in it to play Maui, 
I mean, yeah. you do have to get moving on it fairly quickly, I guess. You got any interest in this, Ray? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, I, in a way, I kind of feel like it's a little disrespectful to like come out so soon. Disrespectful like, I mean, to who, though? Because there's some people. There's I mean, some people, the people that people have, who are making it. <laughs> yeah, the people. I mean, the, if Moana is such a good movie, it should have had it's at so least great. a little longer for it to relish in the things, um, you know, for it to become a classic or whatever. I don't know. I just think the time in between was way too short. I mean, they should have waited a little bit longer, but for whatever reason, The Rock's in it. I love The Rock, so well, I'll check it out, but it's not like something I'm going to mark on my calendar. You know, you'll probably have to tell me it's coming out, and then I'll be like, eh, okay. Maybe. <laughs> you know? Hey, Ray, don't forget, we're going to go see a movie tonight. What movie? Moana. Really? That's done? That's out? Yep. <laughs> it's out now. Remember but, talking yeah, about I that. added it to your A-list. Oh, really? <laughs> no wonder. All right. Well, with that down, guys, let's move on to this, shall we? Uh, you know, we've been talking a little bit about the fact that How to Train Your Dragon, which is very quietly one of the best animated movie trilogies ever. I mean, it's all three movies are incredibly, ridiculously solid. I enjoy this franchise very much. Well, the director of the animated movies is now going to write and direct the live action version. Ooh. And it brings up an interesting topic of conversation that is the subject of today's Mint Mobile Hotline question of the day, which is, you know, we don't often hear about animation directors being able to transition over and having some big success doing live action. And again, that is the topic of today's hotline question of the day. And if you guys have a question for our show, go ahead and call our Mint Mobile hotline question of the day anytime 24-7 at Mint's number 951-268-4259. And again, we're talking about making that transition from animation to live action. Who could do it? Check it out. Hey, John and crew. This is Tucker calling from Cali. And um, I was just looking to that uh, little subject you guys had about the How to Train Your Dragon movie, uh, the stars that it cast in. And, and the thing that I focused on was that it's having the same writer and director from the animated movie coming to the live action. And it's making me wonder how much of a precedent is there really for animation directors crossing over into a live action? The only one that I can really think of off the top of my head is Brad Bird, who obviously did the incredible and one of the Mission Impossible films. And that was a great success. But I'm wondering, are there other examples of this? Do you think this is the right move? Is there any cause for concern? Or should we be excited? Uh, let me know what you think. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot for calling that in, man. And yeah, I mean, it, it is a really good question because it's funny when you stop and think about it, as I did when you made Descent in that call, I was like, I'm not pulling instantly a lot of names off the top of my head. You brought up one of the big ones, Brad Bird, um, who a lot of people think The Incredibles other people will think about the Iron Giant, um, which, by the way, how good is that movie? That movie is incredible. It's so beautiful. Anyway, every time. And then he went on to do A Mission Impossible. He did that George Clooney movie, Tomorrowland, which granted isn't the best, but, but still it's a big, ambitious kind of sci-fi imaginative movie that he went on to do. So there was a couple I pulled up when we were talking about this earlier uh, because we did a standalone video for this one earlier. The names that came to mind, Dave Filoni. You know, uh, obviously got his cutting his teeth in the Star Wars animated world, then went on to do a little bit of episodic directing in uh, Mandalorian, uh, at least a couple of episodes. And now he's got his own live action Star Wars movie coming. That's going to kind of be closing off the Mando verse of the Star Wars universe, um, along with Brad Bird and the Pixar family, Andrew Stanton, who just, you know, did... Um, uh, Finding Nemo. I think he was the director of Wally, if I'm not mistaken. He's just so. incredible. What's that? I think so. Yeah, and and then he went on to do what I think is the most underrated sci-fi film of the last 20 years, which is John Carter, a movie that had one of the worst marketing campaigns I've ever seen and a terrible title. Like it's it's a sci-fi movie called John Carter of Mars, based on a famous book. Let's take out of Mars. But now it sounds like a lawyer show. But anyway, <laughs> John Carter. Anyway, attorney at law. So that. <laughs> that was fantastic. And he's gone and, you know, he's gone on to direct a lot of live action stuff and including Ray, your beloved for all mankind. Yes. You want to direct some episodes of that and things like that. So he's great. Thought about Tim Burton. 
Oh, that's what I was going to say. Who got his start cutting his teeth with animation. That's worked where for Disney animation couldn't get Disney, the eyes right. That's right. He worked on Fox and the Hound and he worked on The Black Cauldron, which is a highly underrated Disney film. I love Disney Black film. Cauldron. It's so good. It's the only PG cartoon from Disney not instead of G. It's amazing. Yeah. And also, oh. obviously his shorts like Vincent and stuff like yeah. that. Frank and Weenie. So he and John Lasseter have that in common. They, did, like, that's where they both cut their teeth. Did you already mention Travis Knight? From- no, I mean, yes. I was going to go over. You mentioned that one later. Travis Knight, of course, who kind of became a bit of a household name with movie fans when he did his incredible film, Kubo and the Two Strings. And then he went on to direct the magnificent mm-hmm. Bumblebee movie. And when, he approached when? it like an animator. He talked about how it was all of the shots with the Autobots and everything, you storyboard it out. You treat it just like you do in animation. That's how you make sure these shots are clean, crisp, and they get what they want. Who are some others? Well, that's, that's the whole one I got to Lloyd and Miller. <laughs> yeah, oh, Lord that's Miller. the other one we mentioned. Yeah. Well, yeah. And they had their lovely op-ed, too, after the Oscars of talking about, you know, in animation school, we're told from the get-go, hey, if you direct these animated films right, maybe one day you'll get to do a feature film. Talking about how already from your educational standpoint, you're being taught this is a lesser art that, form. That animation which, is um, less than. Which is wild because then you see some of these great, great directors go switch over to animation. You've got Steven Spielberg who has gone and done the Tintin films. You have Guillermo del Toro who has now gone into that. Gore Verbinski has done some of it. Yeah. Um, George Miller went, did Happy Feet and both Mad Max. Wait, like, isn't that, that crazy? doesn't make any sense. <laughs> By the way, Happy Feet. Adorable. Really yeah. Second one? Yeah, yeah the first one. Yeah, talking about the first yeah. one. I'm trying to figure out if Travis Knight, that was his first His first movie was Kubo? Paranorman, I, honestly, No, I think. he did like Box Trolls, Paranorman. But yeah. his first live action Wait, wait was, Travis Knight did Box Trolls? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I didn't even realize yeah. Paranorman. Paranorman's so cute. But his first live action was Bumblebee? I, yeah. I honestly don't know. I think the top it of that. was. I'm not positive. But it certainly like he got his name in animation, then mm. went on to do, you know, something else. You know, I think part of the thing is too. I mean, there's no denying that if you're a really good animation director, you're not going to make as much money as a really good live action director, and that's yeah. not fair. But that's probably why some people think, hey, you might be able to work your One way. One day you'll get up. to go to the big leads, fella. It's the same. I mean, it's the same thing with acting. But here's the question, though. You know, I, I remember, and I mentioned this in the video earlier today. The question used to be, it's not so much today. Today, it's much, much easier and it's much more common that a television star can transition to becoming a movie star. It happens a lot more regularly now. But back in the day, it was very rare. Mm -hmm. Like, very rare. Like, you talk about people who started off as television stars that then were able to successfully transition to become bona fide movie stars. You're talking Michael J. Fox. Clooney. George Clooney got a start on ER, then became the Clune after that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's a small, small list. And many who try, I mean, you look at like Friends, right? Biggest, most popular show in the world for years and years and years and years. And really only one of them has been able to transition to what you'd call quite a successful movie career. And that was Jennifer Anderson. And, and even then you, well, how successful was it really? But I mean, it, it was like that time. I wanted to ask you, Chris, about this. It's like, a storyteller is a storyteller, mm-hmm. regardless of whether you're using whatever medium you use, whether you're using animation as a medium, whether you're using live action as a medium, a storyteller is a storyteller. So why has it been either difficult or why is it as rare as it is that we hear about, like, I feel like we find, we hear about more directors starting off with short movies on YouTube that then get a big break than we are about animation directors becoming that. What do you think that hurdle is? What's that What's that roadblock? I honestly think it goes back to what Ray said earlier is that some people just go, animation's not for me. Yeah. There's this notion of animation is a genre for children. And it's not, it's a medium. So I think there's this preconceived notion of anything that's animated is going to be something that is geared towards a young audience that is lesser storytelling that's childish, something of that nature, when that is absolutely not the case. Yes, there is a standard we think of with a lot of animated things, particularly from things like Disney, right? When you have a Disney animated musical film, there's an expectation of that G rating and everything. But we've seen a lot of animated projects that are wild, that are violent, that tell beautiful stories. And they still can have that G rating and still tell these beautiful stories. But we also have things like, you know, Love, Death and Robots that really explores animation to its full extent and you go wow these can tell wildly different stories about either what happens with sentient yogurt to what happens with your when you're in a time loop you know we really really take for granted that this is a medium to work with 
And I think that's the biggest hurdle. And I think people in the industry have to get over that first before you can get your audiences to. Because right now we have people in this industry who don't view animation as the same thing. They don't view video games, right, as an art form. There's television and cinema. And even those things have their own hurdles. Oh, well, this person does comedy and drama obviously showcases better storytelling and better stories and better acting. No, it doesn't. They're all just kind of different flavors of things, right? So if we get everybody on track with that, and if we get the people in this industry first to start treating animated properties like the great, great stories they can be, then I think we'll see these directors shift more easily. All right, guys. Well, listen, with that down, we are now going to move over and start taking questions from our YouTube channel members that they have been sending in here. But before we get to those, we're going to take another moment here and thank a couple of more sponsors of today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, our friends at Rocket Money and my mobile service provider, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to thank a sponsor of this video, Rocket Money. The average person has around 12 paid subscriptions. Think about that. If you think you're only subscribed to a handful of services, you might want to double check. With Rocket Money, you can quickly identify and cancel all of your unwanted subscriptions. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitor your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want and don't even use. Simply find the subscription you don't want and press cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as the click of a button. My wife Ann and I moved out of Burbank two years ago and one of the first things I discovered when I loaded up Rocket Money was that I was still paying for a gym membership I haven't even been to in Burbank in two years. So stop throwing away your money. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to Rocket rocketmoney.com slash campia that's rocketmoney.com slash campia rocketmoney.com slash campia we want to thank a sponsor of this video mint mobile from the gas pump to the grocery store your utility bills and favorite streaming services inflation is everywhere seriously make it stop thankfully there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break it's mint mobile as the first company to sell premium wireless service online only mint mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just 15 dollars a month you guys know that ever since i switched to mint mobile i've been saving almost 70 percent a month over my old phone plan for people looking Looking for extra savings this year? Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All of their plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just $15 a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Rocket Money and Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. All right, guys. With that down, let's get over to the questions that you guys have been sending in. So, Chris, what do we got? All right, from CJ Rebirth, Spider-Verse Game Day. Woo! Game day. Chris, being a voice actor, I want to know your thoughts on the voice acting work done by a few celebs on the first Spider-Verse movie, like Haley Schmeek and Leif Schreiber. Oh, I think they all did wonderful, wonderful work, particularly yeah. Haley Steinfeld. I think she really is great. She's also on Arcane, and she does amazing work on that. They're Again, they're mediums, right? And certain people can do these different mediums really, really, really well. And Haley is definitely one of them. She knocks it out of the park. All right, what's next? From Nicholas, Oppenheimer is rated R for some sexuality, nudity, and language. How much does this affect its box office? It's been confirmed by a new video on Oppenheimer's Twitter page. You know, uh, an R rating does affect, I mean, that's just statistics. R ratings does affect box office. However, I don't know that it'll have much of an impact on Oppenheimer because just from the trailer, I don't know this is a movie a lot of families were going to be going to anyway. That's I don't true. know a lot of parents taking the kiddos to go see Oppenheimer just on the basis of the, tra of the trailer Teach alone. Teach them young. 
Gotta you gotta know your history, kids. And Come on. your nihilism. You need to get them going. No, I. In, so in all seriousness, whereas an R rating obviously does have an impact on almost most films, but in this case, I don't know it's going to have much of an impact at all. All right, what's next? From your boy, $12.99. Your boy. Okay, yes, Lynn, okay. Sorry, your boy. We'll come back. Caitlin Eccles. John, what did you think of the finale of Ted Lasso? Do you still think there'll be a season four? If so, I hope you're right. Yeah, there's going to be a season four. Uh, we talked about this on uh, the show the other day, whereas I don't think there was going to be a season four. But then the day, the morning that they were going to release the finale, Apple sends out a press release and I got it. In four different places, it referred to it as the season three finale. In almost all press releases about shows having their series finale, it says series finale. Mm -hmm. And then last night when I loaded up Ted Lasso on Apple TV Plus, and you, you, it comes up and it shows you a little description, it says in the season three finale, doesn't say series finale, doesn't say anything like that. So yeah, I believe that they probably shot that final episode believing it was going to be, um, believing it was going to be the finale. That's it, the series finale. I have a feeling, though, that somewhere between when they shot that and when it aired, which is probably a good three or four months, I think some kind of deal or plan got made where they're going to bring it back. Now, whether Sudeikis is in it or whether they bring the cast over to America or they come up with some plot device that brings Ted back with, with the family or anything like that, don't know. Don't know, but yeah, I, I believe there's going to be a season four. I don't know that as a fact. I'm just saying I believe there's going to be a season four. This isn't a spoiler, but when we talked about this last time about, hey, we don't know if this is actually the end, the finale did something that made me go, oh, yeah, they're just going to rename the show. Yeah, could be. So I feel like that's what's going to happen. All right, what's next? From, uh, oh, where's your boy? We got to go. That, oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Familia. Uh, is it possible for Sony to make a live-action Miles Morales that crosses over with the MCU after what we got in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse? Um, yes, we were talking about that the other day about how I do not believe Sony can make a live-action Miles Morales despite the headlines that we saw the other day. Um, while Marvel is making movies called Spider-Man that are live-action at the same time. But as we said in that clip we did yesterday... What is a possibility is that they introduce Miles Morales to be in the MCU with Tom Holland's Peter Parker. Whether they're actually going to do that, I'm not saying they are. I'm just saying that is probably, if you're going to do a live-action Miles Morales in any time in the immediate future, that's probably the only road you can do it. Probably, unless they've got something up their sleeve. All right, what's next? From David Conlon, I'd like to know what your thoughts are on seeing Futurama return after 10 years. I basically grew up watching the old run, and I'm very excited to see what they do here, even though the show is really outdated. Yeah, I, I'd be lying if I said I was excited. Um, Futurama, for me, was a show that was really hit and miss. And it was more miss than hit for me. Like, when it hit, it was gut-bustingly funny. Everything about Zap Brannigan is just one of the so best good. things ever. I sent wave after wave of my own men's until the kill bots hit their predetermined kill limit. Um, Zap Brannigan is one of the greatest animated characters of all time. But most of the time, it just never clicked with me. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm, I listen, and I'm super happy for those who are excited about it coming back. That is awesome. I'm so thrilled for people who are fans of it. It's just, I'd be lying if I said I was a big one. All right, what's next? From Big Hand, do you plan on doing a DreamWorks animation list from favorite to least favorite? Uh, can I? What was the question again? Do you plan on doing a DreamWorks animation list from favorite to least favorite? That's a rather specific. No, yeah. I'm, I'm not. I am not planning on making that list. Okay, I was going to say. I was I'm like, not sure what brought up that question, but that? okay. Me. All right, what's next? From Thomas, hey everyone, do you think that we have the best superhero movie streak ever right now with Guardians of Gal? Galaxy Volume 3, Across the Spider-Verse, and The Flash. Three films like this in just about one, uh, about a half a month. Thank you and have a great day. Okay. So first of all, the obvious thing. I haven't seen Spider-Verse yet. That happens a little bit later today. So I cannot say that that's the case. Now, if I come out reacting the way I hope I'm going to react, and I don't always, but if in this case I do, then that will be an incredible three-film streak. Having seen Guardians 3, the Flash, and Spider-Verse, if it's as good as, say, the first Spider-Verse movie. Um, but I think we take for granted a little bit that in the Phase 2, Phase 3 era of the MCU, we we would 
it was not uncommon to get a good three film streak in a row, yeah. right? But you're right. Three comic book films, all within a span of about a month or so of each other, in a row, and all of them are excellent? In the same, like within like the same 45 day window or something like that? Ooh. It's refreshing. I'd have to think about that if that's ever happened before. Because yeah, it's a great time to be a comic book movie fan, man. And I like Shazam too, as well. So I, yeah. I liked Shazam. It doesn't matter if it didn't make money. I liked the movie. So. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't put on the way, the way we liked Guardians 3 or the way we liked The Fair. Flash. But, as, but it was a nice one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, what's next? From Ray Clinton. Hey, y'all. Do you think if the Flash movie hits big that we'll get Michael Keaton to come back out to make another Batman movie from his timeline? Keep up the great work. Thanks. That, whether Michael Keaton would do it is about number 47 on the important list. Um, there's about 46 other more important decisions by other people that would have to be made first. The last question is, would Michael Keaton do it? Um, I don't think there's an interest in any of this for any of the studios to do it. And I do think this movie is going to hit. And Michael Keaton is amazing in this movie. And people are going to love Batman in this movie. But I don't think there's going to be any interest from the studio to do another Michael Keaton Batman movie as a result. Um, so the question is about whether or not Michael Keaton would come back. I don't think the studio would do it, to be honest with you. All right. What's next? From Mayank. Which one is your favorite movie of the 2020s so far? Mine is either Avatar 2 or The Batman. I have no idea what movies even have come out in the 2020s. I, I mean, I, I mean, people... This thing I keep going back to is I have no sense of dates. I have no sense of dates. I could not tell you what, you could give me a list of five movies. One was in 2016, 17, 18, 19, and 20. I would, I would not get one right. I wouldn't be able to tell you which year it came out in. So I, I can't say, unfortunately. <laughs> I would, I, that's one of those questions I would need time to prep for, unfortunately. All right, what's next? From Guillermo. Hi, crew. Did you guys watch the Ted Lasso finale? What did you think? I like it and I cried a little with the believe. Thanks. I'll tell you what, I watched the finale and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed season three. Now, I it was either IndieWire or, the, or Variety that wrote an article that basically said Ted Lasso season three was insufferable. And I read through the article and I agreed with everything they said. Like all the points they brought up, like was, they, they gave one criticism that, you know, in the first couple of seasons, it's about Ted. You have the wonderful supporting cast. But for some reason in this season, every single cast member had to have their own distinct, important storyline. All of them did. And I'm like, yeah, that made it rather, uh, that made it rather convoluted. I mean, at, at least kind of watered down. Um, and then they were talking about some of the ridiculous coincidences, things that the storyline spent time on that didn't need to be spent, have time spent on. And then some of the outrageously, wow, wildly convenient things that happened in the finale that I'm like, okay, yeah, that's true. Yep. Big musical number probably didn't need to be there in the finale, oh, it but cute, it made though. me smile. Yeah. But so it's one of those situations where I agreed with almost every criticism they made about it. And this is the beautiful thing about art. I agreed, but I still enjoyed it. Even though I acknowledge all the things they pointed out, I think they're absolutely right. And I could totally see why some people would watch Ted Lasso season three and say, that was a bad season. I get it. And I wouldn't argue it, but I did enjoy it. And I like the finale. Yeah. All right. We got time for like two more. What's next? From Peter Porker, the spectacular Spider-Ham. Do you think Spider-Verse has a chance to do what the Super Mario Brothers movie is doing in terms of box office success? No. No, I, I don't see Spider-Verse being a billion dollar film regardless of how unbelievably great it is. Look, the first movie only made like 370 something million dollars. I mean, that's not a bad number. It's not a bad number, but it's not the property that Mario Brothers is. You know, Mario Brothers has literally four generations of people who've been dying and waiting for this, where as Spider-Man, we've had a lot of Spider-Man, a lot of it. And I love every bit of it, but we've had a lot of Spider-Man. Whether it's Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire or PlayStation Spider-Man or Miles Morales or Tom Harlan. We got a lot of Spider-Man. And while I hope this movie is ridiculously successful, I can't believe how ludicrously I am ex excited I am to go see it tonight. I, I just don't see it making a billion dollars, but God, I hope I'm wrong. But no, I don't see it having the same impact that Mario Brothers did. It'll be better than Mario Brothers. It's going to be so much better than Mario But Brothers. I don't think it's going to have <laughs> nearly the financial success. All right, last question of the day. 
All right. From Joey. Hey, crew. Has the stress of the daily routine running the show decreased any since making the switch over to a podcast? Thanks for the hard work you guys do. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, it has. It's, it's, it's night and day. It's a totally different thing. I actually have regular work hours now. I'm not up at 530 working and working. Uh, I mean, I, I still spend some time in my evenings going to my backyard and just, you know, getting a few thoughts together, pulling a couple little things together, just sitting out. I'll, I'll light up a fire in the backyard and sit down there. And I like to listen to the city down below and relax. And I'll do a little bit of that, but it's not like the two hours I'd have to spend out there every night frantically trying to get ready before trying to go to bed and getting at least four hours of sleep before getting up super early to get everything ready to ship off to Ray by 7.30 in the morning. It's like, you know what? No, now we roll in here at, I mean, I roll in at about nine. The guys roll in about 9.30, race here early sometimes before I get here. We roll in, we start working, we wrap up around 4.30 and we're done working. It's, it's been infinitely more enjoyable. And the fact that so many of you have made the migration over to the podcast has meant that it's been well worth it. It's been really, really well worth it. So thank you for the question. I appreciate that. And guys, we would go longer, but I got to get ready to go see Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, as I'm sure many of you guys are getting ready to do the same today as well. So that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campy Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to our channel members, number one, for being channel members. Thank you so much for supporting us that way. But number two, you sent in questions that gave us great fun things to talk about, and we really appreciate that very much. Guys, don't forget, if you're watching or listening to this on the podcast, on the YouTube channel, we do have a podcast. That's the best experience for the John Campus Show podcast. Go find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcasting apps of choice. If you are listening to this in the podcast feed, we put up some daily videos every day on our YouTube channel. Go and check us out there as well. And don't forget... I'm going to be putting out my out-of-theater reaction to Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse a little bit later tonight. Keep your guys' eyes open on the channel for that. And, of course, we will be back again tomorrow. So, for Ray Ora, Jonathan Voiko, Chris Carr, Bye. my name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye. <laughs>